This is the Shift Podcast. On the Shift Daily Podcast, the Museum of Failure has made it to Canada. The museum's curator, Dr. Samuel West, tells us why he was inspired to make a museum dedicated to history's greatest failures and why it's okay to fail, too. Scammers are all over the aftermath of the Rogers outage taking advantage of Canadians. Hank the Hacker, the ethical hacker, tells us how to spot scammers who are impersonating Rogers and other ways hackers can take advantage of you after major technical failures, offering you refunds and bonuses. And what feature in your car could you not live without? We take your calls and text messages. It's all here on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Ryan O'Donnell, you do not drive, correct? That that is correct. Yes, I do not. Do you want to? Uh, yep. When gas is cheap, when cars are cheap, and uh, yeah, when when it's cheap. Okay, so Ryan's never going to drive. Brendan Kelly is uh, used to drive. Uh oh. Uh, you you don't unless you do the ride share or heading on a road trip, right? You you got rid of the car. Yeah, no car, no car. I don't really need it. Walk to work. Nice. Yeah, I love to drive. I love to drive. I'm Shane Hewitt. I'm in Calgary. Ryan O'Donnell's in Calgary downtown. Brendan Kelly's in Vancouver. A very different lives. These guys live downtown. They kind of get everywhere they need to go. Um, an interesting story for you here about driving. And it does beg the question about what's your favorite part of driving. So before we get to the storyline, I have this question for you, and I really want to know, what's the feature in your car that you could not live without? For me, for example, I love I love a good stereo. Uh, wintertime will tell you, you know, there's some heated seats and all those things that are amazing. Uh, for some people, uh, they just couldn't live without a sunroof, right? Maybe it's all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive. What could you not live without? 877-399-9898, your favorite feature in a car. Now, is it heated seats? Now, in the summertime, silly question, right? But in the wintertime, on a very cold day, unbelievable. If you get the really fancy cars, you can get the cooled air-conditioned seats where it pumps cold air-conditioned air up your butt. And I got to tell you, it's heavenly. And your lower back, right? You don't get out of the car with that sweaty back thing that people get. It's Brendan Kelly's making a funny face. I've equated mm. it to uh, like a, a beautiful warm bidet. Oh, see, I don't like your descriptions. I just okay. <laughs> so that's why I made the face. Well, it's such a be the wonderful cold air up your. Why don't you just say like? In your lower extremities. Lower that back. would sell oh. it better, I yeah. think, than just saying think up so? your butt. Yeah. I think like nobody wants direct cold air on yeah. their on their butt. That's it's what I just thought. that lower body area comfort through c- temperature is what that's where we're trying to get to. And direct to cold air on your butt may not be the best way to go there. Yeah. That I, I'm on Brendan's side on that. Yeah, one. thank you. It's not an attack. Have you ever sat in an air conditioned seat in a car? Yes, I have. Have it's you awesome. sat in the one where it blows cold air on your neck? Uh, n- no, no, I haven't actually. That's Is that amazing. a thing? It's a thing. It's, weird, yeah. it's oddly romantic sounding. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't blow in your ear. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're a good driver, Brendan. <sighs> What is the feature that you could not live without? 877-399-9898. Uh, we want to know your favorite things about cars. Because everyone's willing to pay for different things. 
Some people just want a basic utility vehicle, and some people like the fancy, right? Some people like all of that. Well, if you like heated seats, BMW has a very strange option for you when it comes to using heated seats. That might become a possibility. BMW now gives you the honor to pay them $18 a month to use your heated seats. Right now, this is only happening in South Korea, uh, but you can buy the fully heated seats for $400. Other subscriptions available as well, heated steering wheels, high beam assistance, and something that makes your electric car sound like a flying saucer. No word on if this is coming to America, but one expert thinks this could mean billions of dollars of revenue for car companies in the future, so buckle up. Okay. Buckle up. Thanks, KTLA. <laughs> just if I could feel him like pointing a finger at me. Like, yeah, that was very buckle good. Buckle up. Yeah. Just got the finger guns. Subscriptions have been available on features on BMW cars and other places in the world for some time. The UK, for example, heated seat offers started this month in many other countries, including in South Korea. This has been rumored before. We've chatted about it before here on the shift, but would you pay extra for your favorite feature? Now, um, features are available via BMW's Connected Drive online store, and they're activated remotely. You don't have to visit a dealer. You just pay, and it's there. Now, you could say $18 a month for heated seats. You could look at the forecast, buy your heated seats for December, and turn them off in January. That's a lot cheaper than some of those add-on packages of, like, $4,000 comfort package when you buy the car and stuff, right? That works for new cars, but what about older cars when, you know, the subscription thingy doesn't work and you got to replace the module for the thing and the whatever, whatever. The features are available for you, and the company argues that the ability to add new features can be helpful for owners who can change their minds after purchase. Let's be honest. They're not doing it for us. It is particularly useful, BMW says, for secondhand car owners as they now have the opportunity to add features that the original owner did not choose. That's convenient. You get a car, you're like, does it have a heated steering wheel? Well, no, but you can turn it on. What if self-driving technology became a thing of the future too? Would you subscribe to it? I mean, that's interesting, right? There's all kinds of things that we could work on here. What is your favorite feature inside a car? 877-399-9898. Calls and texts coming up. Self-driving technology still has some kinks to work out, for example. Four weeks ago, the United States released its first report on how many crashes were caused as a result of self-driving. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration released more than 200 pages of crash data today involving cars with autonomous driving features. First few minutes of my drive. Teslas are so popular, there are entire YouTube channels dedicated to their features, especially the driver assistance program. You tap down twice to enable autopilot. But new data from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, also known as NHTSA, shows Teslas using driver assistance systems were involved in 273 crashes since June of last year, far more than any other maker, with Honda reporting 90 crashes and Subaru just 10. If you have a lot of cars on the road, it's no surprise you have more crashes. Phil Koopman is a professor at Carnegie Mellon and an expert in autonomous vehicle safety and says just looking at the number of crashes doesn't tell the whole story. And the real question is, how much are they crashing compared to how many miles are being driven on autopilot? And this data doesn't tell us that answer. So you have to be careful before jumping to conclusions. Experts say the point of the report wasn't to rank safety, but instead identify trends in crashes that could point to features or functions that need more safety regulations. This is looking very closely at, at individual cases 
And I think in those cases, they've just found multiple times now that these very specific design decisions that Tesla's made uh, you know, contributed to, you know, people dying. Ed Niedermeyer has followed Tesla for years and even wrote a book on the company. He says when he was looking at the data, he found that in more than 10% of the Tesla crashes, the autopilot system allowed the car to leave its lane, which indicates there's either a problem with the lane detection system or the driver monitoring system. If there have been 29 crashes where when the system is active, it's leaving the lane or leaving the road altogether, the system is not, is doing that. Something is going really, really wrong. Okay, so would you pay for that, right? If you hear that stat and you're like, okay, this is great. I can not have to drive my car anymore. But then you hear those stats, you're like, okay, $5,000 to have the auto drive feature, that's off-putting. But to try it for 20 bucks in a month, we know how many subscriptions. There's a reason why the credit card companies, the banks are offering the service of letting you know when a subscription renews. Because we forget to cancel them. We don't ever cancel these things. We just keep paying. What is one feature you can't live without in your car? 877-399-9898. Derek says air conditioning. Absolutely. I had a unbelievably beautiful classic BMW air conditioning. The fan was dead in the module. You had to strip apart the whole dash. It was common in that car. Air conditioning worked fine. But the module broke, and I was like, I can't live without a fan. So I just sold the car. I hear you, Derek. Let's go to Lars, who is in Edmonton. Lars, what is the one feature you can't live without in your car? <laughs> well, I, I want to pay for the ejection seat. I don't know if BMW has an option <laughs> for, like, an oil slick or an ejection seat. Lasers, can we get lasers as an option? <laughs> I love this. Uh, well, if I we're going to be paying, driving, yeah. we want stuff that's cool like that, Lars. I agree with you. That's a great idea. Yeah, and also, perhaps, for the subscription for the self-driving, maybe you, it's like $20 a month for the one that crashes, but then you got to get the premium, you know, the one that doesn't crash your car. No, they probably would so do like that. It's eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. so like $39.99. Yeah, they're like, $39.99 now with less crashes for premium. <laughs> it's just a better driver. <laughs> And if, oh, yeah, so, so yeah, I think it's just a little, an upgrade. Like, okay. Uh, you know, level. Yeah. Anyway, auxiliary cable. Uh, I do a lot of driving, and I've got yeah. 741,000 kilometers on a 12-year-old car. So, Wow. What kind of car is it? Volkswagen Jetta. Really? Is it diesel? Yeah, it is. Good. That's amazing. I love the diesels. My Beamers are diesels. So I'm with you on yeah. that. Okay, so the aux cable gives you the tunes. It gives you the high-quality tunes. Could you translate that to a car that had Bluetooth connection for music? And what, Is it more access to your music, or do you specifically like the cable plug? Well, the plan is to go to a million kilometers. So we've nice. we've only got you know two two 259,000-ish left to go. So the reason that we haven't upgraded to a Bluetooth is the 09 was still an aux cable, so... The audio books yeah. that you listen to on those drives and, and like you said, right. the you know music that you'd be listening to. So we have Bluetooth capability. I mean, if you're going to be in the car for 100,000 kilometers a year, you're going to want something to listen to. And I'm, mm -hmm. <laughs> if Volkswagen starts charging me for the aux cable option, I think we'll just we'll go back to like a 79 Volvo or something. Yeah, I feel you there. So are you, you're going for the million kilometers to try to get a free car, aren't you? No, but you know, you know what? I don't, I don't even need the free car. We have a car that that we've, you know, has been reliable and has been really good to us. Volkswagen put it in a commercial last October. So it's been amazing. And the That's million cool. is just for my own personal interest. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like been that. a dream. 
Awesome. Great. Thanks so much, Lars. Appreciate that. Enjoy those tunes. Thanks. Lars in Edmonton right there. Lars is right, though. You know, if if we're going to pay, give us cool stuff, laser beams and all of that. 877-399-9898. An engine. (laughs) It's your favorite option in a car. I like that one. Oh, man. Okay, what's your favorite car feature? Greg says, cooled seats. Greg, I agree. There's nothing better than the cooled seats. Greg, come on. I want to phone it in and tell me, is it better? It's nice when it blows up your butt. These guys don't, they don't agree. They don't want to talk like that. I don't know. It's, it cools you down. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I sure hope we don't need a subscription to have brakes. <laughs> they probably would chair upsell you, though, for better brakes. That's what happens. Here's the thing, though. Do you think the price is going to come down? Really? Or is it going to just raise the price because you have to have the option modules and everything, right? It's like you can't, when you buy the car, you don't pay $4,000 extra for the comfort package because every car comes to the comfort package. It's not like they're going to lower the prices of the cars. At least, wait to be seen. I doubt it. 877-399-9898. My favorite car feature is the cars with a cassette or CD player that helps to rationalize digging through your collections and having saved them over all the years. Roger in the Schwa, Oshawa, Ontario. Thanks so much, Roger, for that. Uh, <laughs> you guys are funny. I couldn't live without my windshield. Keeps the bumblebees off my face. It's a very good point. Very valid. Devin is in the Hammer, Hamilton, Ontario. Hey, Dev. Hey, um, actually, I changed my mind. I think uh, I think the favorite feature for me, especially in the Great White North, is my remote starter. Oh, isn't that the truth, right? hey? You does your remote starter automatically turn on your heated seats? Yes. Yes, it does. Oh, that's next generation, next level stuff there, hey? Um, that's oh, beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Okay, well, what was your, for everyone who know, I know what your original one is, but tell me about the uh, the next one, or your original one. Well, the original one was uh, was my lane assist, so I can uh, I can drive without any hands. <laughs> Does it give so, you the uh, the the buzz buzz on the butt cheek when you start to wander, or is it full on keeps you in the lane? Uh, it depends. If we're going if we're going straight, it'll keep me in the lane. If there's a slight curve, then it it then it beeps for me. How inconvenient is that? Hey, having to turn. <laughs> I know, keeps you awake. I um I think that stuff's really cool. I my dad had that in his truck, the little buzz buzz in the seat. I mean, I get the convenience of it. It certainly does keep you aware of driving in a big way. So I get that stuff. That's cool. Uh, thanks so much for the call, Devin. Appreciate it. Nice to hear from you. Thank you. And Devin's in Hamilton. He says the auto start. What a great point that is. What is your favorite car feature that you really don't want to live without? Uh, nothing. I'm just glad to have a car to get from A to B. That was from Winnipeg. Love it. Stick shift comes from Dan. I prefer, I fastly prefer driving a manual. Doesn't matter if it's three speed, five speed, or 18 speed. It is more fun. But, you know, sometimes on those long trips, it's nice to just kind of let the auto drive, um, is uh, just kind of to let it go, you know? Get in the cruise control, let things go. Ed is in Winnipeg. Hi, Ed. What is your favorite of the car features you couldn't live without? Well, the winter for sure. Like when I put the heated seat on, I don't even run the the heat in the vehicle itself. I drive a Pacifica hybrid, and mm-hmm. then in the summertime, you can't beat that cool seat. But it's uh, it's just amazing when uh, you, you you've described it. But you know you have to experience it in order to understand how the 
heat it so you can winter when it's really cold, like you said, and then in the warm, you don't get that sweaty, you know, from sitting in the seat, and it's awesome. It is awesome. Does it blow up your butt? Am I wrong about that? Well, you know what? Uh, I didn't really find that because it, it blows around the whole area, but you know what? It, it's Everybody may experience it a little bit different, but it does you know, come from that area. So, you know, you your description is, is uh, probably bang on, but it does blow around the whole area from the backside, not the neck, but, you know, around the, the back and, you know, in, in the lower lower part of the rear end. <laughs> so you're just more delicate than I am. Thanks for the yeah, call. I appreciate right. it. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> awesome. Ed is in Winnipeg. Okay, another, another message saying, I hope I don't have to upgrade for brakes that don't work. In fact, there was a day when brakes were in the commercials. This is a throwback way back to, like, the 50s or something. Watch this. All 1954 cars in all price classes nosedive on brake application. Now watch this. Yes, level flight stopping in a 1955 Chevrolet. An exclusive engineering triumph. And here's how it's done. All at the touch of the daintiest toe. Simple, isn't it? But Chevrolet is the first in the industry to achieve controlled, level flight stopping. The riding and driving thrill of a lifetime. The quadrupoise ride. <laughs> thrill of a lifetime. <laughs> Thrilling. Anybody who's been in a left-turning lane, when it turns yellow, or excuse me, turns and then red, knows that the dip in the headlights is the only way you know you can safely proceed. So I'm glad they didn't continue with that idea. My goodness. Heated seats for me drew from Bowmanville. Another message from Manitoba says, I deliver newspapers daily in the one-touch up-and-down windows in my caravan. I couldn't live without it. That's a good one. In, um, in Melanie's car, she has an Explorer Platinum. Fancy. You know how the, the stow-and-go seats in the back of the minivans, you have to pull the thing and flip them over and do it. This is like electric. You push a button, and they f it's like a transformer that just, it, when, you, when you're driving the car, and then all you, you'd have to do to change all the seats around is you, you, this one button. You put the head. You do have to put the headrest down, so that's wildly inconvenient, of course. But really, that's that's all you have to do is one little button, and all of the seats magically disappear uh, right there. It's it, you got to try to make the sound when you push the button. I love it. What is your favorite uh, car? Uh, feature that you can live without. Would you pay the 18 bucks for it or whatever? BMW is talking about that for heated seats. They've talked about it for quite a while. The thing is, though, is by the time you add up four or five of them, you're an extra hundred bucks a month for the luxury. Right? So that's not good. Uh, I could not live without my trunk. It'd look pretty stupid with a dead body strapped to the roof. Oh. <laughs> that's like National Lampoons with yeah. the grandma in the rocking chair. Gotta go there. Um, how how do you feel about um, maybe an upgrade and saying, you know, this car goes left for an extra $18 a month. Your car can turn right. Well, that was not what they did, but Honda had a similar commercial. Honda would like to show you something you've never seen before. Four-wheel steering. Honda, only on the new Prelude SI. 
an incredible turn of events. Josh and Lander, BC. I went from a 1999 Toyota Tercel to a 2022 Honda Civic a couple of a couple of uh, months ago. Wow, what a jump that is! So every feature, especially AC, auto start in the winter when I want to show off to my friends. Plus, the fuel range is amazing. Yeah, we have come a long way. I'm not sure that you'd as long as the price of the car gets cheaper and then you pay for the subscriptions, I can deal with that. I don't think that um, if the prices don't come down, people are going to look forward to doing that. For me, I would love to have a foot button bright lights feature again, which I asked Ryan O'Donnell earlier if you knew what that was, and apparently that dates me slightly oh, um, when you have sorry. to turn on your high beams with your foot. But if you know what I'm talking about, you get it. This is the Shift Podcast. Ryan O'Donnell found uh, an idea here on the Shift that I have to say is probably the most appropriate of topics that we've ever done. You see, part of the magic is that every time we screw something up, I mean, we have a show of day of the week that we call Mail It In Friday (laughs) because it's such a screw up. Um, And so what an appropriate conversation um, to welcome in Dr. Samuel West. Now, not because he's a screw up, because he studies studies screw ups like us. (laughs) Maybe he is a screw up. I guess we all are. Hey, Samuel. That's absolutely right. Uh, This is so good. So your work, you're a clinical psychologist, a PhD in organizational psychology. You focus on innovation. And um, there is this museum of failure that has sort of popped up. And what a project, hey? If you ever had to, by the way, I have a project I'm going to do. It's about failure, which is like the biggest backdoor escape hatch ever in psychology. (laughs) Because if you screw it up and it fails. That's right. You technically succeeded. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny because I mean, so the Museum of Failure is yeah, it's a big, it's a it's a pain in the ass um, to move an exhibit around the world. Yeah, and it's um, so so that's one part of my job. But um, I make most of my money doing like workshops and keynotes and stuff like that. And the funny thing is I could be in the most serious settings, you know, some kind of finance, whatever, whatever, whatever. And and that, those jokes are always the first one that comes like, oh, well, our next keynote speaker, he can fuck up if he wants to. He's- <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> so it's kind of it's it's fun. It, it, it's fun. It's, it's also liberating to. Exactly. Well, you've sort of set yourself up for you've set yourself up for for that. I mean, but isn't that the truth, though? We could actually say the psychology, we could actually say that, you know, the way that I do, because in my language, uh, in my mindful speaking that I teach is that the question we always need to ask ourselves is, do you want to be hot or do you just want to be not cold? Right. Mm, And so in life, so many of us have created our careers, our lives, our passions out of not wanting to be a certain way. There's often like an EMT uh, who drives an ambulance might have had an experience where they hurt themselves and they felt very alone at some point in their life. And they might have said, I never want anybody to feel hurt and alone like this again. And they've found their passion from that. So, frankly, I would just go as far as to say failure inspires us and is so beautiful more than anything else in our lives. I would go as far as to say that. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir here because I mean, 
So I, before I started Museum of Failure, I did a lot of work with, um, I'm not saying exclusively, but I did have quite a few patients when I worked clinically with um, different types of perfectionism, sort of, um, and it, it, it's not just like, oh, I have to clean my house a hundred times and OCD stuff, but but like even career related, um, relationship related, where people have these set these extremely high bar, high standards for themselves that, that they can't attain. Um, and and the thing is, it it's, it destroys any joy if you if you're gonna be a, all all good. I mean, we all we can all appreciate perfectionists in many ways, but um, if that's also associated with being you know, anxiety and just, you know, uh, stress, then it zaps the joy out of just about anything. I mean, trying to do something absolutely perfect destroys the fun. Yeah. Well, and even the, the notion of the notion of failure as failure, you hear some real existential hippy dippy, you know, speakers, which I thoroughly enjoy. Um, <laughs> and they will say, you know, there technically is failure is a construct of man, really like failure is uh, just a lesson. And you decide yeah. whether or not you're going to learn the lesson or not. And, and so it is possible that that whole storyline about failing anyway is just a bunch of, you know, bullshit that we yeah. tell ourselves. I, 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 so, so just on that, on that note, I, um, I think being, having lived in this failure world for at least five, six, maybe seven years, I thought I've heard, I've heard all the quotes that exist about failure so I'm rarely surprised, but I, I read something a couple of weeks ago where somebody said like, yeah, you know, um, it's not failure if you keep on trying. Like it's, it's just, it was just an experiment. I was just, I, right. I just tried something and it's kind of a, I kind of like that approach. Like, yeah, no, I mean, if, if you're only going to give something one shot, then it doesn't work out. Then yeah, it's a failure period. But if you're like, yeah, I'm, I, I tried something. It didn't work. Let me adjust some stuff and try again. Mm -hmm. And you can't really label it as failure in that sense, as 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 as, a, as an end station. Well, as a language guy, what I would say is that, um, you know, what happened is what happened, right? It's only yeah, really yeah. the attachment to the outcome. We're just yeah, seeking yeah. evidence. We're just looking yeah. for this evidence of like, okay, I'm going to be righteous because two yeah. plus, you know, or jumping off the jumping off the roof of the house. <laughs> Well, now I can fly, right? And then yeah. you jump off the roof of the house. You can't fly. You broke your leg. Well, you failed. Well, no, actually, I found out that I, I didn't fly, right? No, so, <laughs> and then I broke my leg. And so, um, you know, really, I mean, that that whole idea is is just this righteousness of ourselves. But in the same time, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I just, I just because you said you're because you're a, a, a language nerd. Um, I, I was I, I did a, a sort of a radio documentary a while back, um, and the they on the same program they interviewed a, a a dude who had written a book on failure from sort of a historical perspective, and and his thing was like that the 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 construct of a person being a failure. So we've had failure. You know, all throughout history, you try something, the bridge falls, it's a failure. You you do something, you construct something, it, it falls down, it's a failure. Um, but um, the notion that a person can become a fate, that a, a, an individual is a failure, that's something that sort of occurred in, in the, you know, 
with the with the with the rise of capitalism in the United States. Mm. It's quite fascinating. I mean, I, I'm not going to claim to understand it all, but it was quite interesting that labeling a person as a failure is quite new. Yeah. Well, and we have that though. Though we look in the uh, Samuel, we look in the mirror in English anyway, and a lot of mm. different languages get this right, and some languages get it wrong. But in English, we look in the mirror, and this is one of my my simple statements: is that I look in the mirror and I say I am fat, right? Mm. When reality is that I have squishy bits that I'm not really keen on, right? And but yet I put that identifier of I am fat, and yeah. when really I am not fat, I also I have fat, and then that empowers us to also not have fat. But when we use the yeah. identifier as I am. Which exactly. really, by the way, should be the end of the sentence is I am. But when when we put this identifier, I have eyeballs, I have fingernails, yeah. but I don't say I am eyeballs. No, I am seeing. I am right. seeing. I am yeah, fingernails, yeah. right? Like I am. To, I am. I am wart. Yeah, yeah. We don't do that. But the, the the Latin language is a little bit better. Like the Spanish, they don't say, "I spilled the beer on the floor." They say, "The beer spilled." Exactly. Like, there's no, there's no agent. To you be didn't. There. You didn't spill the beer. You might have hit no. the glass. No, that's not even part. The, wow. The beer spilt. Like, and then, and then, if you, if it's necessary, then you have to identify the, 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 the person responsible. But it's not, it's not built into the language and into right. the cognitive. The beer spilled. Who hit the, the glass? Beer no, right. nobody hit the glass. Nobody hit the glass. Beer, the beer spilled. And in, in, if you go to Ireland and England and stuff like that, they don't even say, you know, I'm Shane. They say, I'm called Shane. Yeah. Right? So the identifier of my name is who I am yeah, 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 yeah. is inaccurate. Fascinating. It's fascinating. All right. Um, so our guest right now here on The Shift, uh, he's a psychologist. His name's Dr. Samuel West. This failure museum thing, like how bad is the screw up, Samuel, to make it to the museum? It's got to be bad. It's uh, Yeah, basically, it's got to be pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, there's three criteria. So the whole purpose of the museum is to get people to appreciate that we need to accept failure if we want any kind of progress. And that's it's not only tech progress or, or prog innovation, corporate innovation. It's it's progress, ideological progress. It's 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 medical progress. Any any type of progress. Mm -hmm. um, and so we need we need to accept that, that 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 exploration and experimentation involves a lot of failure. So that's one thing. The second one is um, that we have to. I really want people to um, sort of open up to meaningful discussions about failure instead of finding a scapegoat or 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 you know trying trying to sweep it under the carpet i want i want to start talking about failure and trying to you know extract some some learnings from it that being said in the museum the items that are there they they, they all have to, they can't be in the museum of failure if they're not a failure in some in some regard but the failure is not always commercial so I mean, some failures are because they caused harm to people or because they, you know, they, they failed on ideological reasons. But most of the items are consumer products uh, that fail because they, you know, uh, bad timing or if they were, uh, you know, technology didn't work or bad marketing, et cetera, et cetera. We hear these uh, stories of products, and of course, it's escaping me now because now's the time I'm trying to think of it. Come on, brain. Um, but there are products where someone went to create uh, a, a glue 
I'm making this up. Someone went to create a glue that didn't work. And they actually created a really great paint remover, right? Like there yeah, are yeah. products out there that worked out in the long run. So can you still call it a failure? So like the po- this, the classic story is the post-it notes where they try to create, create a glue. That's great. That's probably, that's probably the one you were thinking of. It the, could be actually. Um, and then, and then they didn't create the glue, but they, they uh, discovered and invented this wonderful thing called the post-it note. Um, so that's, so my problem, so I, so there's Viagra, they, it's a heart medicine and they discovered that uh, men had great erections and like, okay, they didn't want to um, quit taking the heart medicine. Um, so that's also one of those things like, okay, well, we discovered something uh, serendipity, through serendipity. But um, my problem with that is that um, I don't want to, I don't want to force failure into the narrative of success. Right. And so for me, failure has value, even if it doesn't lead to success. And I think our success obsessed society um, needs to realize that, that we can't, we can't, we can't say failure is okay just because you're successful or the, the product is successful. I went to a conference, I don't know, probably 10 years ago and on stage, it was one of these sort of, business innovation conferences, big ones. And on stage, there were three sort of, it wasn't Elon Musk, but it was like these big, <clears throat> mega rich, mega successful uh, startup founders. And they still all stood on stage and they, they like, they're all worth billions or whatever, very successful financially. Um, and then they all talked about, yeah, you know, we have failed. And, you know, they, they shared stories about, you know, the early times and when they failed. And it really pissed me off because, like, there's that, they're allowed to talk about failure from the pedestal of success. And that doesn't do failure. I mean, it does failure a disservice, I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't really connect to the guy who literally just literally walked home from yeah, some yeah. sort of failure, yeah, sat down, yeah. and then here's someone who's in yeah. a $10,000 suit talking about how yeah. failure is amazing. Yeah, look look at me. I'm so successful. And it's okay to fail, little guy. Don't give up. Like, come yeah. on. Um, um, well, Elon Musk it, is a great example. Donald Trump's another great example. These guys talk about their failure, but they had a multi-million dollar head start. I, don't get me started. <laughs> Without, yeah, that wasn't intended to be political. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, um, it's so easy to glorify risk-taking. It's so easy to glorify things ad hoc, yeah. you know? It's always easy. And I don't know how, I mean, let's look at Elon Musk when he gets, when this lawsuit with Twitter goes through and he, he loses. Let's see how much fun it is then, you know? Yeah, if how um, great is failure at $40 billion. Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, it's 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 also interesting when you look at failure, um, where are you going to put, the, like, where are you going to drop the, the, the pin on the timeline of failure? So something that, like, when, when, like, failure is always in sort of, it's fluid. So it's really difficult to say that something um, uh, is a failure, period, because there's always some continuation and that might be more or less successful. There's an example of that with the Segway. I, I, it's in the Museum of Failure for sure because it, you know the Segway. Yeah, yep. you've probably ridden the Segway. No, um, I haven't, but I, it's on my list of things I'd like to try. <laughs> you're a nerd. You should ride one. It, you, you, look, you look stupid on them. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I love <laughs> Anyways, it. Anyways, <laughs> so um, when it came out, it was this massively uh, hyped 
and very promising technology with the <clears throat> the Segway. And it was it, the, the expectations were that it would uh, revolutionize how people transport themselves. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the quotes were like, "It's going to be bigger than the internet." You know, um, it'll it's to the horse and it's to the car what the car was to the horse and buggy and except so this the expectations were really really huge and then none of those materialized and and so as such it's in the museum of failure and then i got an email from a guy who's he says now i beg you to reconsider the segue as a failure because uh, he he has a mobility uh disability um and he says without and he he's he has enough money to afford you know eighty thousand dollars for a segue um and he's like without the segue his qual he wouldn't have the quality of life he has so it's like the as so the segue was a commercial failure yes but it was a massive success for this dude and and other people like him it's kind of interesting to think of failure it's not binary it's not it's not black and white it, it's there's it's it's nuanced um and i think it's like in that way in just about every aspect of, of failure yeah, well, the guy who sells, I'm just trying to bring that on a segue. The guy who sells little tires mm-hmm. and sold 5 million little tires to Segway probably thinks Segway is a giant success. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> right? So, you know, it is, It I guess beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The way that I would always say is that, um, you know, people, success, you can't know success unless you've known failure. You can't know failure unless you've known success. You can't know hot unless you know cold. You can't know cold unless you've known hot. So, you know, in the existence of those words in our lives, we look at it mindfully, we would go from the perspective of, in fact, they must dance together. If you must know one to understand the other, then in that case, they must coexist. Yeah. So therefore, there must be success surrounding failure in order for it to even be there. Absolutely. What's your favorite thing from the museum of the biggest failure? If you had to pick one. Oh, I hate that question. I know. Um, That's why I ask it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like the ones with a good story. Um, They might not be the sexiest or the the coolest looking items in the museum, but they have a great story. Um, And one of those, one of those, I don't know. I, I love, I love the story of the Amstrad emailer from the UK. There's this, Sir Alan Sugar, the he's he's still he's in the British version of the Shark Tank now. Mm. Anyway, he was the dude who he was the guy who um, sort of ushered the United Kingdom into the digital age, and he's like the big guru or was is, um, and he his company was massively successful in the electronics, and then he an a- a- aging visionary. Um, he had this idea; he wanted to create a product. Uh, it looked like a fax machine with a screen, uh, which was only for emailing. This is a time when people already started buying computers and had the internet, right? So, but he thought like email for the people and he would charge them per minute for, for wow. connecting. To anyway, everything about this product is completely off. Like everything <laughs> about it. Like, I like the, 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 the fundamental premises. Of it's like a, a, a pay phone of emailing kind of. No, that's a, actually a very good way oh. of putting it. <laughs> um, and it could only email. You couldn't. You couldn't open attachments. You couldn't surf porn on it. You couldn't do anything. That's amazing. That use the internet for so. Um, he, but he, he insisted as the you know the the CEO and owner and founder of the company. He insisted on, on keeping it alive. And um, 
he wouldn't listen to anybody who had different opinions and it killed the company um so like we we glorify the 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 eccentric visionary leader aka elon musk for example and we put him up on some kind of like high altar uh what they're fallible and they're full of shit like everybody else and they need to hear that sometimes and chances are they it wasn't even them that came up with the idea they all they said was like all they said was let's color it blue Uh, you know like and that's it and they get credit for it you have the delorean on on this list too um now is it delorean as a business endeavor delorean as a wildly underpowered car or is it um the fact that everyone thought it could travel through time and that was the coolest thing about it uh all three all of the above yeah could be all and of the above co- and and cocaine cocaine <laughs> yeah the delorean the 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 founder the man who gave the car the name yeah. designed it uh his uh, the the newspapers uh, headlines about his cocaine uh, issues uh, and travels and getting arrested and stuff. It didn't Parties. help the brand. Yeah, it's a great documentary, by the way. On I think it's on Netflix. You can check it out. Yeah, I uh, haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I've only seen part it. of it. It's really really interesting though. If you okay, want to, check it. I'm gonna but, watch it. But again, if you want to flip it to success, there's a brand new electric version of a DeLorean yeah. coming out. So who knows? Okay. Time out. Time out. I've seen that. I've, I'm on their mailing list or whatever, and I've seen it. It pops up every now and then. Yeah. And I like, I'll see it when, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Well, that's what I say too, but it sure looks nice. <laughs> yeah, it does. I wouldn't mind having one. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, man, there's so much for us to, to learn here. It travels around the world. Um, you can learn more. Museumoffailure.com is, is where you get all the things, including uh, previous dates, upcoming dates. Uh, it's open in Calgary. And, um, you know, it will continue to travel and, and, and do this. But even if Definitely. even if you don't get a chance because it say it doesn't come to your community uh, in the near future, it is absolutely worth it to um, to take a little look and, and read what it's about. And only because of the fact that I was given this quote, Samuel, let me ask you this, um, this quote that I was given. We often look at no as defeating. I'm guilty of that. Someone will tell me, I have a great idea. Someone says no. I'm like, ah, oh, screw it. You know, I'm done. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And um, and. But the way that I was presented to me was if I could tell you a number, just a tangible number, it was going to take nine no's to get a yes. It was going to take nine first dates to fall in love. It was going to take whatever. How fast would you chase those no's, those failures in order to get to the place where you could find the success? So if we reframe failure as it's only going to take nine failures, go screw it up nine times because then then all of a sudden we yeah. would be hungry for failure and not necessarily afraid of it. I love that reframing of failure. It's perfect. It's perfect. I'm going to steal that from you. Thanks. You feel free. <laughs> Throw me a little credit in there every now and then. <laughs> I, I want to afford to buy a DeLorean one day too. So send some people my way. <laughs> I love it. So where are you off to next? Are you, uh, are you chasing the, uh, the speaking realm right now or are you chasing the failure, um, failure museum stuff? No, I'm, I'm right now. I'm, I'm looking at, Oh, I got, I, I can't tell you. Oh, it's a secret. <laughs> it's not a secret. It's I'm, I'm looking at, I love the power of exhibitions, like a physical space uh, to transform people's ideas, like to question their fundamental assumptions about things. So that's what I'm working on. Beautiful. Um, yeah. He, uh, uh, yeah. Tell I'm us more down the road. 
I'll tell you more down the road. <laughs> I love it. Okay, it's Dr. Samuel cool. West. It is the Museum of Failure. He's a psychologist, and it's awesome. And and what everyone doesn't know in the background is you literally have been traveling in on and off airplanes, and you squeezed us in, and I'm grateful for that generosity. It's been a great chat. It's been a great chat. Thanks a lot. This is The Shift Podcast. The good news is, from the phone call failures of last week, the internet failures in uh, Ontario and such, that something good's probably going to come of it. Redundancy, help from other providers. It was such an unbelievable failure of service around cell phones and internet with Rogers last Friday. Now, that seems to be sorting itself out with some hard work on the uh, on the end of the company. The scammers are all over this, though. All over it. The emails that are coming in, we've already got our corporate alerts on it saying, by the way, uh, don't do this. Hank the Hacker, Hank Fordham, is here, and he's helping us um, understand all of these um, all of these things around it. Hank, how are you? I'm not bad. Thanks for having me, Shane. Great stuff. Emails are flying, Hank. Click here to get your Rogers refund. We need to be very aware, don't we? Oh, man. You know, I I knew that this was going to happen. And, and we see this every time there's something like, you know, every time something hits the media, cyber criminals and fraudsters tend to take, they, they get a hold of it and they take advantage of it and try and capitalize. And, you know, it's the interesting thing is that these are usually easier to track because you can look at the number of, of fake domains or like, so, you know, rogersrefund.com, for example, uh, which is still a good, a, a good method. But in this case, uh, there, there's a lot more, and I'm, I'm sure you've, you, you may have even seen a few of them like fake interact e-transfer domains being registered mm-hmm so that yeah. they can kind of hoodwink their their victims into trying to collect some kind of a refund. Well, it's a little ironic because Interact was down because of all of it. <laughs> yeah. So, excuse forgive that part. Um, and that's what they do, right? They, they'll go buy domain names that sound like, uh, that look like they're legit, like getyourrogersrefund.com or something that's totally scammy when you're aware of it. But if you're not aware that that's a thing, and for those who don't know how the internet works, it's very easy to go buy a domain name and be able to create that. You can have that done in a matter of seconds, if not minutes, and point that at a website so, you know, people don't know how easy it is to do that. It is easier. Let's put this into context with something security based. It is less time for you to create a domain name, find a domain name that's out there, buy it, point it to where it needs to go, then it would be for you to go from here to the hardware store and get a key copied for your front door. Fair statement? That's exactly true. And you can even, people are using like paid commercial link shorteners to support their scams. Like the one that uh, I, I saw recently shared by Ontario Police was uh, Fraudster was offering $50 refund via a, a fake e-transfer link that had the words 50 rogers outage in it and it, it was serviced and, and a lot of these links I'm, I'm noticing are being served by a popular link shortening service that um you know that 
as a cybersecurity professional, I, I think it calls into question why they're not screening the services that they're offering. And they're making it really easy for cyber criminals to disguise their links. And like you said, it's quicker than a trip through the drive through it. It's a very, very quick and easy process. Now, link shortening, for those who don't know, link shortening is so you don't have these massive links pasted into things like, uh, yeah. you know, it's the shift.ca slash Shane slash Tuesday slash July 12th slash 2022 slash Shane talks to Hank slash dot HTML question mark subject equals, right? Like it's to make it less um, daunting that way. And on the technology end, of course, there's all kinds of analytic tracking, cookie tracking, cookie oh, yeah. placement. Uh, so, I mean, that's how they find out all about us. But at the same time, it comes up as, you know, short dot, you know, IE dot or slash Rogers rebate. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing like uh, one of the first I saw was from my, my friend Ryan Nazareth. He he shared a, a similar finding with another. Uh, it's a bit.ly link. And so it's like bit.ly. And some of them look really obvious because it's just, you know, it's random letters and numbers. But some of them say things like 50s Rogers outage or Rogers refund or something like that. And they're, like you said, they're meant for companies to be able to buy kind of a shortened vanity link so that they can share, you know, their YouTube video or something and have some extra, like extra data behind that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how do we... um how do we identify these things? Cause they look legit, Hank, when they come in the emails, they look, they steal the Rogers, the logo, they, uh, do all the things that look exactly legit. I've received a couple lately where I even, I've been digging through them going, Whoa, this is good. And it looks so legitimate. How can you even tell? How can we even stop this? You know, but besides Rogers commenting and, and saying things like we're aware of the scam text messages being sent and whatever, and, and, and again, reminding people to forward suspicious text messages to 7726 uh, or, or SPAM, um, but th there's some important questions to ask yourself when you've become a target of one of these these scams. And... So if you get a text message and you're, you know, you're looking at it and there's a few questions that you should ask yourself is, is, is the sender unknown to you? Are you asked to click on a link or open any kind of attachment? Um, are they making any kind of request for your personal information, like your, your banking login or maybe even just your phone number? Um, and are you being asked to do something? And are there spelling or grammar mistakes? Um, I think that it, you know if if all the an if the answer to all of these b besides spelling or grammar mistakes is no, then it's likely a scam. And companies like Rogers are never going to contact you through a text message to let you know of a refund. It's it's just going to be posted automatically on your account. Um, so I, I think it's important that uh, if you can just to keep it very simple, if if you can just keep your your information a little more private, you'll be at an advantage. If if anyone is asking you for information, then you should be taking the extra effort to contact that company 
in, in this case, if you got a text message from Rogers, you, you can contact them and ask them if that refund is legitimate. And they'll likely tell you very quickly that it, it's not. Okay, so I almost fell victim to one today. I consider myself rather computer savvy, but I almost did. And then I have a question to follow this up. Is that today I received a message on Instagram from my buddy John and said, hey, I'm competing in a contest, uh, a photo contest. He's a photographer. Will you vote for me? And uh, question mark. And I replied back, hey, John, great to hear from you. Absolutely, I will. Where's the contest? And then um, I got a text message that said, hi. And then I got another message on Instagram that said, you're going to receive a message, uh, a text message from Instagram. We will send you the link there. And then on Telegram, I got a message from John saying, my Instagram has been hacked. If you receive a text message, yeah. uh, it's not me. And so these people, because they somehow got into his contacts or whatever, right? Like, who are your friends? They sent a message. They found me out. They, they, normal conversation on Instagram. Then they sent me a text message. Now the text message came from an American area code. And so that was telling. And then, um, and I didn't respond to the text message. And then they, so they tried to move the conversation from Instagram over to text to make it more legitimate. Now, after all that was done, I just replied back. Why don't you give John his Instagram back? By the way, I forward your phone number and everything off to the police. Probably not a legitimate yeah. phone number. That's not going to threaten them probably in any way. But at least I've become inconvenient now, and they're going to leave me alone. But someone mm -hmm. else, if John hadn't have intervened, I probably would have been, I would have been like, wait a second, that's not John's phone number. But aside from that, Hank, I almost fell for it. So what do we do? Like, how do we get through that part? You know, this is this one's really common right now. I actually had a friend close to me who fell for something similar where, uh, you know, what they'll do, this, this is pretexting. What they'll do is they'll, they'll usually they'll compromise one of your friends or a mutual friend of them. And they'll make an attempt to, you, you know, to move laterally through their friends list by, you know, sending them uh a message saying, Hey, I think I got hacked. Um, I need to reset my password and I've made you one of my trusted contacts. Uh, in order for me to reset or gain access to my account, I need you to send me the reset password link. And you might think as I explain this, I would never fall for that. I would never send someone my, my reset password link, but in, in the way that the scam is carried out, it, you know, it's really hard to notice unless you had someone that contacted you and let you knew or let you know that this was going on. And I think that 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 kind of leads on really well to a, a campaign I saw created by the Sutina police, and it was called Who's Your Connection? And it kind of orbited around more with you know, not plugging into public chargers, but it also kind of centered on on creating an open line of communication with friends. So if you get contacted with a link like this, or if someone messages you with some kind of a request like this, um, or even your employer, then to contact them and try and make a verbal phone call or make some kind of contact where you can confirm that this is actually legitimate. Detail. 
Detail always matters, right? Ask a question that only that person can answer. Was that a good yeah. start? Well, I mean, it, I think that if you know, if, if the if the risk were super high, say that I've had cases where um, someone were, you know, I've heard of people using deep fakes so that they can authorize a transaction over the phone. And I think in that case, um, there should obvious, obviously be a little bit more security, like a pin or even something even created mm-hmm. that you can ask each other. But um, in most cases, just having that open line of communication and making that phone call is, is enough. Hmm. I've always thought of it this way. Uh, ask a question that's wrong. And ask a question that, that for detail, right? It would be like if I, you know, was calling you, Hank, and I said, you know, uh, hey, Hank, uh, how's Steve doing? Right? Right? And then the, the bad, the, the bad, exactly. Who's Steve? But the bad guy might say, oh, Steve's great. Right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Or, right? Like, uh, you know, if your, uh, your partner's name is Susie and I'm like, Hey, you know, I haven't talked to Tracy in a long time. You know, how's she doing? You guys getting along okay? Right? And then, you know, oh, yeah, Tracy's fine. You know, stuff like that, I find that it is always bait them the wrong way and give them a little dose of their own medicine, and they're going to tell you real quick if they know what you're talking about. I I love that because it's like, you know, some people might hear that and think, oh, that's that's silly, but you have no idea how effective that is for someone trying to execute a phishing campaign. And... I, I speak obviously from the ethical side of it with my experience, but um, I've I've even you know I've gone I've had people hack my friend's account, and then you can tell you can tell that it's someone like, hey, how are you doing? Have you heard of the new government grant going around? And immediately you know that it's a scammer. But um, I've even been able to kind of you know play dumb with them or ask the wrong questions, and uh, or I guess the right questions, if you will, and um, even get them to click on a phishing link in return and then get the friend's account oh, wow. back and return it to them. So, you know, it, you have no idea how effective not only being inconvenient, but uh, just having that little bit of extra creativity behind, like you said, asking the question that you know is going is, is the wrong answer or going to have the wrong answer. Um, it, it it just puts you at a massive advantage against someone trying to execute these kinds of scams against you. Yeah, and um, and why not, right? Why not uh, dance with them enough to um, and give them wrong information because you will find out really quick. You know, like how's the puppy? <laughs> I don't care. Like ask something that is obviously wrong, but they wouldn't know that, and their their BS meter is going to go on, and they're going to have to try to dance their way through that. And at least, um, you know, that, that, that might help out. Okay. Let me ask you this then, Hank. One of the things that you and I have preached on here over and over and over again is two factor authentication. Let's stay on the topic of that cell outage. There was an awful lot of people that had no cellular service, obviously, because of what happened on Friday. And there was a ton of things that could not be logged into. And I can tell you this. I had no cell service on Friday. Luckily, it was my day off. I did not need to log into, um, email and everything else. Here's what's happened in our world. Uh, in our world, we have authenticator apps and stuff to log into all things corporate. We've got to log in again and again and again through all of this code here and password there. It seems to me to be, you know, the very secure of the corporate world when we log into things. 
But one of the things that I haven't been able to do is update my authenticator app because of the fact that we need to be on the network to do that. We're still working from home. So I need oh, to use yeah. the text end of it in order to be able to do that because you can use the confirm by text message. If I needed to log into anything on Friday when everything went out, now two-factor authentication has failed. How do we work around that? There was an awful lot of people that could not recover passwords. They could not log into things. There's things they couldn't do because their cell provider was out. You know, I I immediately, and I don't know if this is because I just I just had a, a daughter actually, but um, I don't know if it's because of my recent exposure to the the hospital or not. But I I immediately think of things like medic medical care using because they're massive with using enforcing two-factor authentication and um what i see them doing a lot is using physical authentication keys and one of the like one of the really big problems i have with that is okay so i you know i get a ub key or i do whatever i carry it around and i can use it for so many accounts but it's not very flexible so um I've been trying to work on building and developing an alternative to YubiKey uh, that allows you to store much more on it, and it has a lot more flexibility. But uh, having said that, I, I think that you know before we really move to true passwordless authentication, things like physical authentication tokens are really your best bet. It, there's no case where you wouldn't be able to access the account unless you lost the, t- the the physical authentication token. And there's ways, you know, there's features, and especially with YubiKey being one of the industry leaders, that you can protect that YubiKey even if it does get lost with making backups or making it useless to someone that does discover it or find it. So um, with, with two-factor, I, you know, I always try and lean away from text messaging because it's not hard for someone even when everything is working perfectly to take your sim card and have it what we call doing a sim swapping attack and have it have your sim card cloned and then they can actually eavesdrop on your two-factor authentication codes and and not only that but your text messages as well so uh, mm-hmm. I, I would definitely lean away towards, you know, using applications that, that remain on your phone, like Google Authenticator or uh, things that rely on on text messaging. But at the same time, you might not have that flexibility in some cases. Uh, YubiKey is one of those USB things, which actually goes back in time because, um, you know, those USB keys, they were so popular 15 years ago. And now it's yeah. kind of a reversal of, of the role of this whole wireless access thing. And I know that some mega secure organizations, I've got some friends who work in like mega secure stuff. Uh, they all use a USB key plus they use the card key. You have to have your two factor okay. plus your USB key plus the card key in order to get into their networks, yeah. like the full on cards, those old school cards. So. You know, I mean, there's a lot going on there, man. There's so much here. We've got, we didn't even get to the, um, the Canada, Russia hacking and all those other things, Hank. So we're going to invite you to come back on again soon so we can talk about this more next week. What is going on in the world in international hacking in order to keep people safe? Look, we're not here to scare anybody. We want you to be able to feel, uh, secure and confident in what you do. That's why Hank offers you. Those are the questions you got to ask yourself in order to make sure that this is all okay. Thanks so much for being here, Hank. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 